This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more. Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Forward. I'm Sterling Shea from Barron's, and we've got a very special guest with us here today. Uh, who has had a long tenure and career in the wealth management industry. He can lend a lot of perspective on market disruptions and market evolution. Uh, and he is Jim Hayes, who's currently president of Wells Fargo Advisors. Jim, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Sterling. Thanks for having me on today. Jim, let's start with a question uh, that I always am curious about uh, in regards to advisors in particular who are leading teams, and it's one about leadership. Uh, can you give us a little sense of the, the Jim Hayes playbook on effective leadership uh, now that we're all in a, in a virtual format, at least for the time being? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I, I think, uh, you know, for me, the real sort of catchphrase is communication is paramount. And uh, I think a lot of communication is trying to build trust with your team through candor, being straightforward and, and trust people to know their stuff and do their job. And, you know, especially in this environment where we're all working virtually, you know, it's really important that you communicate, you communicate things when you know them. Um, uh, but even if you have projects or plans that are in progress, uh, it's really all about communication at this period of time. Yeah, but sometimes in the virtual format, it's harder to harder to convey messages. Um, what do you suggest advisors do to make sure that they're uh, they're being heard and they're 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 communicating succinctly and 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 in the right way? Any any suggestions that you might offer? Yeah, I think a couple of things. You know, when I talk to advisors, one of the things they say is that uh, you know the new environment that we're operating in is is not better or worse than the old environment. It's just different, hmm. and so it it requires a, a different approach to leadership and communication. So one of the things that I hear as a best practice is to make sure that advisors schedule time with their partners. There's a a real hunger, Sterling, for people to connect. And they lose a little of that connectivity when they're not in the branch office. You know, in a, in a regular operating environment, they could walk and get a cup of coffee or a glass of water, and they would see one of their teammates in the hallway, and they would have some dialogue or they have some conversation. Well, they, they lose that in the virtual environment. So one thing our best practicing FAs say is they need to plan for when they're going to have meetings with their partners and colleagues um, throughout the organization. So, so one part of it is, is planning. And secondly, making sure that um, advisors, especially those who are on teams, have regular check-ins with their team members. And that might look like a Monday morning huddle. It might look like a daily, uh, hey, let's talk about the work that we have ahead of us. It might be a check-in on, hey, how you doing personally? You know, something away from, you know, the day-to-day -day business activities. But a lot of it is really around scheduled communications with both team members and partners. That's really good advice, Jim, and I think it's really important that advisors uh, take heed to, to schedule time uh, and are disciplined about making time for partners and team members, uh, particularly now because the client interaction uh, and client needs have been so intense. And, you know, from that, uh, those stories about what advisors are doing for their clients right now, we're hearing a lot of incredible things, and I'm sure you are too. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great question, Sterling. I mean, I was talking to an FA in uh, Chicago the other day who has a client in Florida, and he was talking about how on, on every Saturday he gets together with a client on a video call, and they talk about the markets and their portfolio. And now he's starting to bring friends of that client onto the call to where he's having 
really sort of his own, uh, you know, market outlook meeting. And I think that's an incredible idea. Um, the other thing I would say that's related to this, and it's really been a, an interesting learning, is that our managers are saying that they're managing and leading differently. Hmm. You know, at our firm and, and you know, other competitor firms, uh, many of us have a structure where we have a manager in a large city, and then we have associate offices in more remote or rural locations. And one of the things that this pandemic has brought to the fore is this question of, well, how do you keep in touch and how do you provide leadership and guidance to those remote or rural locations? And technology is giving us an ability like we've never had before to do just that. Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating. And it begs a question, though. If you think about this as a period of inflection for advisors and, and the business at large, what advice do you have for advisors about thinking about the long-term strategy for their business and, and what type of things might be different on the other side of this? Uh, what advice do you give uh, the advisors in your firm about managing their practice and thinking about what the, the, the business will look like down the road? The advice that I give really revolves around this one word, and I'd call it flexibility. When I talk to advisors, uh, what they say is uh, things that are very different. They're not consistent between advisors. I was chatting with a group of our California FAs the other day, and some of them said that they'd like to come back immediately and return to work in our branch offices. Uh, about a third of them, though, said that they'd prefer to work out of the home because they're highly productive and their client associates are highly productive. And another third of them said that they'd like to work periodically in the branch office. And when I walked away from that call, uh, the, the word that went through my mind was flexibility. How do we create a workforce and how do our, our advisors create a team that allows for flexibility and different preferences based on uh, each team member? And so the way that we're asking our advisors to think about that is to think about what their practice looks like you know, five and 10 years down the road think about their workforce and work location preferences, and think about how they communicate and stay in touch with team members and partners throughout the, the broader Wells Fargo organization. And what, what you end up with is a lot of different ideas and a lot of different ways that people want to work, but you also end up with what's best for that individual team. It'll be fascinating to watch that play out. One of the things that we're hearing from a lot of top advisors is that the nature of their client engagement is changing as well. Uh, less portfolio review, although that's certainly a big part of the conversations, but they're also having deeper, more meaningful conversations with families, particularly multi-generational families. Uh, how do you think that client engagement is going to look different as we come out of this? Um, and, and how might it change? How, should, how do you think advisors should think about engaging families right now? Well, I, I think that word family is really important because when you think about the multi-generational estate planning, the video capabilities really provide the financial advisor leverage in terms of how they connect with multi-generational families. It, you know, heretofore, much of that connectivity was through things like family wealth summits and really sort of ultra high net worth, multi-generational family and estate planning. But now with technology, you can offer those services really on a broad basis to a family and, and really have a different level of dialogue with the, uh, with the family. So I think it's going to change in terms of the ability to have outreach. And I'll, I'll give you a quick example of that. Once a year, we, we uh, host a, a very high net worth um, investment conference in New York City. And we have many industry luminaries come in and speak. And this year we made the decision not to host that uh, on an in-person basis, but we decided we would host it virtually. Um, and when you think about that, what normally would have been a conference that had anywhere from 800 to 1,000 
sophisticated clients on it, we can now create podcasts and videos and broaden our reach to uh, maybe a bigger audience. And so I, hmm. I think it changes the availability and the accessibility to advice for our clients and also those multiple generations. Well, I think there is going to be hunger for those type of events and, and that type of content um, specific to uh, investments and portfolio construction. Uh, we believe we're probably not out of the woods in terms of volatility in this market, even though the market has made a nice recovery uh, since the March lows. Uh, we're probably looking at an, an, a year to come that has higher volatility and, and lower returns across asset classes than before the pandemic. How do you, what perspective can you lend uh, advisors that are looking to put market volatility into context and, and perspective for their clients? Well, I think, yeah, I think this is where history comes into play. And for those of us who have been around a little bit, we've, we've lived through periods of market volatility, whether it was 2007 and 2008, or whether it was the dot-com crash of 2002. And so the, the perspective that we're trying to share is, number one, maintain a long-term perspective. Number two, to use the utilize the resources of the firm um, and utilize the cadence that we've put out. And so our, we've, we've beefed up our cadence to daily market calls and really twice a week calls on volatility paired with our, our long-term research pieces. So what really we're trying to impart upon the, the advisor population's perspective long-term about, you know, why are we investing in the first place and how can we take advantage of the market volatility and the rotations in different sectors to do the right thing for our clients and really not to, not to panic, but to accept that uh, cyclicality and dislocations are actually a normal part of the market environment. Yeah. And the trick here is really just to reduce anxiety because uh, that's what clients are feeling when they see these, these gyrations. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I think clients are, are fearful. They have anxiety and, you know, the job of a great advisor is really in a down market. It's really to hold the hand of the client and to, reduce that anxiety and fear. And so I think that takes place really with, with three or four things. First of all, regular outreach goes a long way to reducing anxiety. I think secondly, sticking to a long-term plan, and we're really a planning-focused organization. And thirdly, focusing on full balance sheet and advice beyond just the investment side of it, things like estate planning and overall financial planning. You've seen so many changes in the business over your, over your time in it. What do you think will be the permanent changes in the way advisors do business once we get past this pandemic? Yeah, I think investments uh, in technology will continue to be paramount. Um, and in addition to that, I think virtual meetings may end up being the norm hmm. uh, and not the exception. So one of the things we're thinking about is that as advisors return to the branch offices, will they still want to leverage the video capabilities and audio capabilities that are out there today? And we think they will. In fact, we think it will accelerate. Um, I think what that then means is we're going to have an increased reliance on these digital platforms and capabilities. And what that looks like are things like not only doing the video call with the client, but perhaps doing the annual portfolio review, the annual uh, financial planning review uh, with video technologies also. So uh, I expect we'll have a larger workforce working from home more often, and we'll continue to go down the path of more mobility. As we digitize many more client interactions and engagements, is there a greater risk of, of cybersecurity issues? How do you think about that and, and what are you doing as a firm? Cybersecurity for the financial services industry is one of the big issues because the, the fraudsters out there are pretty sophisticated. 
uh, and they attempt to penetrate the systems of every financial institution on a, on a pretty regular basis. So um, when we look at our work from home controls, um, the connectivity is over highly secure VPNs where we have dual factor authentication. So a little more industrial strength authentication to get into the system. Um, in addition to that, uh, most of our employees use enterprise provided equipment or containers that uh, are locked down from a data privacy perspective. And that's, that's really, really important. It's encrypted uh, to prevent any data loss. Um, in addition to that, um, we have very robust training on information security, what to do when you're traveling, what to do when you're mobile and the like to raise the sensitivity to the importance of the encrypted data and security. So, um, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, I would add one other thing that, um, you know, we think of this broadly in terms of an ecosystem. And so we include our third party vendors in all of the security work that we do and the privacy work that we do and the controls that we have. So we think broadly, not only around what are Wells Fargo technologies that we have that need to be compliant and security driven, but also what about the vendors that we have that provide them. And the good news here is we've had really good uptime since, uh, since uh, the end of February when uh, we saw the market volatility begin really good uptime and control since uh, we moved 90% of the workforce to work from home. Uh, and it's something that we're, we're really, really conscious of in terms of overall information security. Jim, another thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, Reg BI. Um, this was picking up steam before the pandemic hit, and it's changed the way a number of firms are thinking about uh, their business. Uh, can you share some perspective on uh, your thoughts on the ramifications of uh, these rules on the, on the business and advisors? Yeah, I think uh, Reg BI is really great for the industry because what I think it really does is it promotes quality in the level of advice that's given. And I think what it's all about is really full and fair disclosure to the client. So what the SEC wants us to do is, you know, first and foremost, consider the cost of the product that we're offering to the client and what reasonably available alternatives are out there and demonstrate to the client in our discussions why one product might be better than another for this particular uh, this particular uh, piece of advice. And I think that, you know, that's not a big ask on the part of the SEC. That's something that we should be doing every day, and we're, we're fully, fully behind that. The other thing that the SEC has put forth is this notion of uh, let's consider what the FAA gets paid and what the incentives are, and to make sure we have reasonable controls in place that the uh, products that are offered and what the advisors get paid have an intersection in delivering great advice to the client. So we're very much behind it as a firm. As, as you know, uh, implementation date is official uh, June 30th, but we've already begun notification of our clients. And uh, I think ultimately what it's really all about is the quality of the advice that's delivered to the client. In an environment where the changing regulatory structures are going to going to shift strategy and, and advisors, some advisors uh, are achieving outstanding organic growth in this environment, but others are struggling. Do you think these forces are going to change the industry landscape in the years to come? Do you think we'll see further consolidation? Yeah, I, th I think they will. The way I think about it is, um, you know, if you're running an organization with 15,000 financial advisors, that the future may look like 3,000 financial advisors teams with an average of five people you know, per team. So I think that the, the movement towards you know, full teams and full team engagement will accelerate, uh, especially because of what we've been through in the last couple of months. Do you think that we're going to see further concentration in the capture of organic growth among advisors? You talked about 
the, the advisor at your firm who's hosting the digital study groups with their clients' friends, which is a, a great way for to generate referrals. But uh, it just seems like fewer advisors are taking the lion's share of net new growth each year. Is that going to characterize the future, do you think? Yeah, I think it will. And I think that's where teams uh, sort of come together and intersect with that. Because I think as these as these teams form, you'll have people come together with complementary skill sets. So the advisors that are best practicing, that have a planning-based model, that uh, have a plan for organic growth, they'll likely team with those advisors who are either retirement age or those who are really good at being inside people and serving relationships. And so you get this marriage of best practicing organic growth advisors teaming up with advisors who are great at delivering service, but maybe are a little bit less than great at actually bringing in and originating new business. And so I think the benefit to that will be the overall firms will actually grow more quickly as those teams form. We think another likely attribute of the team of the future and those that are willing, uh, or rather those that are able to grow at a faster rate than their peers is those teams will likely be more diverse than they are now. Do you, I know that's an issue that, that matters a lot to you and your firm. Uh, do you have a few thoughts on the importance of diversity in wealth management teams of the future? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, th- I think diversity is one of the most important issues facing the financial services industry. We, we've, good, we've done a good job uh, uh, increasing gender diversity, but there's a lot more that we can do, especially with people of color, and especially when you look at teams. And so when you look at the range of organizations that have a percentage of FAs and teams, they range anywhere from, at the low end, uh, 10% of the FA population is in some sort of team, to at the high end, upwards of 80 to 90% of the FA population. And so you can look forward and you can make a pretty broad assumption that the percentage of financial advisors who operate in a team is going to increase and pretty dramatically. And secondly, as the overall FA population increases, it's a tremendous opportunity to make teams more diverse. So just, just looking at wealth alone, over 53% of the wealth in the United States is titled in the name of uh, females in the United States of America. So right out of the gate, teams should have gender diversity on their team. It's, it's, it's great for clients. It uh, helps uh, advisors relate to clients. Um, and it's more reflective of our communities. And then secondly, I would say, as you think about um, different skill sets, uh, you know, some people like to bring in clients. Other people like to serve clients. Some people have professional designations like CFPs or SEMA designations. Other people are very attuned to the markets. You, you, gain in sort of your understanding that it's complementary skill sets and complementary backgrounds that really form the strongest teams, whether they're in the financial services industry or whether we're talking professional sports or any other entity that requires people to come together for the common good of, in this case, the client. Jim, another issue that we're hearing a lot of advisors ask about and and, and seek content and guidance on is around succession planning for their team. Uh, which is not as simple as just trying to mentor one individual to, to be the future of the, the practice, but rather uh, involving the entire team on planning for the long-term future uh, and professionalizing different functions within that practice. Uh, can you share your views on how important this issue is and, and what you're hearing from uh, some of the, the leading practitioners in, in your firm uh, about how they're approaching succession planning? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. We're hearing a lot about this. Um, and and obviously, not only are the baby boomers aging, but the financial advisor population is aging. And so really succession planning really revolves around advisors um, 
thinking about how do they take care of their clients as the advisor moves on into retirement. And I think the, the word that really comes to mind when I think about that, that challenge to solve is the word sustainability. Does the vi- advisor have a practice that is sustainable and a going concern beyond the years that that advisor works at any particular firm? And when you begin to, you know, um, unpack that a little bit, you say, well, what would make an advisor's practice sustainable? And that would be things like uh, having a team set up, having clearly defined roles and responsibilities, having an investment process, having a fee-based mindset rather than a transactionally-based mindset. And this point in particular is really important because if you have an advisor who's, let's say, a sole proprietor, and they're predominantly transactionally based, when they retire, in some regards, the business retires with them. And so when you think about sustainability, it's really having these long-term, enduring, sustainable relationships with the client and having a fee construct that reflects all of the work that the team itself does with the client. Incidentally, what that also results in is a higher valuation for the practice when the financial advisor goes to retire and begins to execute succession planning or planning uh, type of agreements. Um, That's really the definition of a sustainable practice. So there's a lot that goes into this. It starts with a sincere desire to do the right thing for the client beyond uh, the working years of the advisor. But there's a lot of nuance to it in terms of what's the value of the practice, how does it operate, how's the team structured, what are the roles, and um, what is the rapport with the clients. I will just, I'll, I'll just close my remarks on this particular comment to say one of the best practices that I see as it relates to succession planning is having a multiple generation team. And the reason why that's so important is that the advisor may have worked with a client and, and have had a great relationship for 20 or 30 years, um, but the client might now be the age of the advisor. And so it's thinking about, well, if I'm a 60 or 65-year-old advisor, how do I set up a team that can deal with the next generation of the client's wealth. And maybe what that means is I need a multiple generation team to serve a multiple generation client. So a lot to the equation, a lot that, uh, that we're doing and I think the rest of the industry is doing. It's such an important point. I want to paraphrase it into some prescriptive advice for uh, the advisors who are listening in. Uh, I think this is an excellent concept, this, this notion to take an honest, hard look at the sustainability uh, of your business uh, to make sure that's truly authentic. And your point, uh, families are going to do business with, uh, with teams they can identify with. And if that multi-generational component isn't there, uh, I think that's one of the factors that leads to such incredibly high turnover uh, of accounts when a patriarch uh, relinquishes the wealth management decision to younger generations within, within those families. Yeah, I think that's right, Sterling. I think one of the statistics I've seen is something like uh, 80% of retirees, client retirees, make an investment advisor decision within five years of their retirement date. Hmm. So there's a, there's a lot up, up for grabs, not only when the advisor retires, but when the client retires. And when you marry those two things together, both the clients and the advisors are retiring at the same time it really highlights the need for a well-articulated and thought-out succession plan. Well, it also might uh, paint a picture of a lot of money in motion. So there's going to be big growth opportunities. Uh, You talked about the advisor that 
uh, is, is doing interesting communications with clients and clients' friends uh, in a market update. How else do you think uh, advisors will benefit uh, during this pandemic uh, from potential growth opportunities from others who are feeling that they're, they're not adequately being served? Well, I think that one of the things that best practicing advisors will do is they'll proactively buy the books of business of other advisors. And so what they'll do is they'll benefit from a book that maybe hasn't gotten as much of attention as it's needed over the past number of years. And they'll, they'll integrate that book into their best practices and then uh, therefore provide better service to the client. So I think the big get bigger, the strong get stronger. Um, and the best practitioner advisors will benefit by making those books more sustainable. Well, Jim, you've given us a lot to think about over uh, a number of different topics here. I wonder if you could close by offering a, a final actionable idea to the advisors that are uh, listening in for them to think about moving forward. Yeah, my, my final idea would be a little similar to what I mentioned earlier, which is just communicate early and often. And don't wait until you have all of the answers to communicate with your team members or your clients. Um, I don't think clients or team members expect perfection, but I do think the bar has been raised to communicate, uh, especially during these periods of market volatility. So that would be my idea, communicate early and often. Well, it's a good one. Jim, thank you very much for your insights today. We really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Sterling, and great to be with you today. I'd like to thank everyone for tuning in. Uh, We'll be back next week with another newsletter and episode of The Way Forward. This podcast is brought to you by ClearBridge Investments. Meet an evolving economy confidently with ClearBridge Active Equities, the foundation of a resilient portfolio. ClearBridge, a Franklin Templeton company. Go to clearbridge.com to learn more.